0: Bonnie and Linda. Mike, you might have something thrown at you later. (laughs) Maybe not, I don't know. Um, All right, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to start with verse 9. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be behind me on the screen. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're continuing on in Colossians um, and we're seeing Christ is at the forefront. We're seeing um, that Paul and Timothy, as they write the letter, they're telling the Colossian believers, you know what, we're praying for you. We're praying that you would continue on in the faith and that you would be strengthened, or strengthened by his might. That you would be um, continue to grow in the gospel which has planted itself in you by the preaching of the word. And so Paul and Timothy continue with what exactly it is that they pray for. So verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul and Timothy report on their continued prayers for the believers at Colossae. Upon hearing of the work of the gospel within the community at Colossae, they have continued to give thanks as we saw last week. But it does not end with thankfulness, but continues forward to prayers for the believers that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that is God's will. It is not only the knowledge, but it is also um, that all spiritual wisdom and understanding would come. This likely represents the Holy Spirit who is in believers, teaching them further the wisdom and understanding of the Lord. That the Spirit does this is reminiscent of Jesus' promises in John, that the Helper would come and teach believers in Christ. So it is, Paul and Timothy continue to pray for these believers, that they would be filled with such a knowledge, such a wisdom, and such an understanding in their lives, which comes from God. Now verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The question is, what's the purpose of this knowledge? And the answer is that once they have attained this knowledge, this wisdom and understanding, it will lead to a changed lifestyle. To walk in a way, in a manner worthy of the Lord reflects this. It's an Old Testament concept coming through to the New Testament about walking with God. To walk, to live in a way which is worthy of the Lord is to live in a way which is pleasing to him. But the question we may ask is, what does that entail? Well, there are four specified by Paul in this verse, and then continues through the next two verses. The first is by bearing fruit. As we have seen, this reflects a lifestyle. In Matthew, to bear good fruit means to live a repentant lifestyle. Um, To no longer allow sin to reign over one's life, but being transformed by the good news of the kingdom. Yet it does not end there. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord also entails increasing in the knowledge of God. It is not enough for us to become stagnant in our desire to further understand this God who has saved us. Then verse 11. Being being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and with joy. Now... At this point, some of us might be feeling some trepidation over this. After all, to live a life worthy of God is hard, and for some, even a fearful thing. What if we fail? What if we don't succeed? What if we mess up and fail to bear fruit or fail to gain knowledge? Some may feel a great deal of pressure over the demands of what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, however, They remind us that we are not alone on this journey. We are not expected to be able to do it all on our own, by our own might. Instead, they remind us that what the Lord demands, He also remarkably gives. To walk worthy of the Lord also includes being strengthened by God Himself. We notice just how powerful God is in this section. With all power, he strengthens us, and according to his glorious might. Such such statements are meant to emphasize the greatness of God, how great and mighty he really is. For what end is his glorious might given? For all endurance and patience with joy. Endurance recognizes that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. To endure through the struggle, the trials, is what we are called to do. But we also recognize that it will not be our own might which gets us to the end, but the might of God himself. Patience can represent a number of things. It can represent the patience we bear with others in the world. Or it could represent the patience we bear with ourselves while we are struggling. Or it could even represent the patience we bear while waiting for the Lord to return. Perhaps in the end, all are in view, since all require a patience to endure the current age. But it is not enough for us to endure or to have patience, but ultimately to find joy in the situations which we find ourselves in. One would wonder, how could we possibly find joy in our struggles against the darkness around us? The answer is when we remember that our ability comes from God himself. And because of that we have joy, since our perseverance is not found in ourselves, but in God. In Him, then, we find our joy. Now verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The final aspect of walking in a way worthy of the Lord is by giving thanks to the Father. Thankfulness is part of the Christian life. For we recognize the reality of the gospel and all that it involves. In fact, everything leading up to this point is enough to cause thanks when we consider the ramifications of the gospel's growth in our lives by allowing us to live lives worthy of the Lord. But Paul does not go backwards. Instead, he goes forward for the ultimate reason to give thanks to God. It is the reason why we are able to live lives worthy of God to begin with. And that is because the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. In light. This is a fascinating statement. As it reminds us of the ultimate reality of the gospel. That those who are in Christ have been qualified, have been transferred, have been given a new inheritance. One might wonder, what does it mean when it says saints in light? Because it could also be translated as holy ones in light. Saints here can then denote one of two things. The first is angelic beings, um, and the second concerns those who are in Christ the faithful. In the New Testament, the vast majority of usages concerns those who are in Christ the faithful. In the New Testament, the vast majority of usages like this is holy ones, where the focus is on those who belong to Christ. Ultimately, this seems to be the stronger view in light of the scriptures, since the scriptures teach clearly that humans have been placed below the angels for a time, but will eventually be raised up higher than them, specifically if they are in Christ. Thus, the holy ones seem to represent humans rather than angels in this particular circumstance. This also makes more sense when we consider that believers at Colossae were Gentiles. The language in the verse of share and inheritance is greatly reminiscent of the Old Testament language of the land being the inheritance of the Israelites, who were themselves saints or holy ones. Thus, it could further mean that these Gentiles have been brought into the same root, as in those, those in the Old Testament, receiving the inheritance of those who belong to Abraham. Now verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Paul then specifies from whence the deliverance has come. Notice he blatantly says, delivered us. Deliverance is reminiscent of the Old Testament in two ways. The first is with Egypt and being trans- or delivered from slavery, but it also denotes the Babylonian exile, and being delivered from their exile. In either case, we see that this Old Testament theme of deliverance reflects what happens to us. By saying us, Paul recognizes his own deliverance, and ultimately all believers' deliverance. But what have they and we been delivered from? The answer is the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness can mean a number of things. It could represent the spiritual darkness, a kind of demonic imagery of being under the rule of Satan. It could also represent the human fallenness, which we all experience through sin. And ultimately, it is likely that both of these things are in view. The spiritual element of being under rulers, powers, and authorities of this dark world, while at the same time representing the inner darkness which we all possess. Ultimately, God has delivered us from such authorities, whether inside or outside of ourselves, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Scholars tend to know that there is likely a difference between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God mentioned here, where the kingdom of Christ represents the kingdom not yet fulfilled, and the kingdom of God represents the ultimate fulfillment to come. Ultimately, we who have been under the domain of darkness have been liberated from it by the power of God himself. The fact that Paul uses on his beloved son reminds us that Christ is specified as the Son of God and that through him we are adopted into his kingdom by God's grace. Now, verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The gospel, then, is found as the final foundation for all of what Paul has been teaching on in these verses. In Christ, we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. It reminds us that the domain of darkness is one which is infested with sin. We have been redeemed from this darkness through Jesus. But not only that, we recognize that while we were in the domain of darkness, we were also there willingly. Thus, each of us personally are in need of forgiveness of sins because of our own partaking of sin. As it is, God does bring us forgiveness of sins through Jesus, Thus, a complete and full redemption is made on our behalf by the power of God through His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. So the main point of these verses, they are to inform us, or inform the believers at Colossae, of the prayers and supplications Paul and others have made on their behalf. They have sought on behalf of these believers... God's continued grace to grant them lives worthy of God. Such lives will be made manifest by bearing good fruit, gaining knowledge of God, being strengthened by God, and giving thanks to God for all that he has done through his Son, Jesus Christ, in redemption of those whom, from the realm of darkness to the realm of light. Alright, so what are some applications we can have from these verses? Well, the first I thought of was realms. Um, in today's text, we saw a distinction between two different realms. The first realm mentioned was the realm of darkness, or specifically the domain of darkness. The other realm is the kingdom of his beloved son. In both of these phrases, we see two distinct spiritual realities that have repercussions and reverberations throughout the rest of our existence. In other words, If we read these things and thought, oh, it's only spiritual, then we've missed the point. But before we go too far, we do want to emphasize the reality that they are spiritual. We need to be careful with this. There has been a trend in modern biblical scholarship and even among pastors and congregations to what is called demythologize, demythologize the Bible. What that means is there is a tendency to downplay the spiritual emphasis we find within the scriptures, whether that be good, such as the Holy Spirit, angels and miracles, or bad, such as Satan's demons, sin and darkness. Yet here in the text we see two spiritual kingdoms. We see that they do in fact exist, and we see that they are very different. One has its foundation on that which is good, which is Jesus Christ, And the other, which is bad, and that is darkness. So the question we want to ask is, what does it mean to be in either one? What does it mean when Paul says that we we were in the domain of darkness? As I mentioned previously, it could mean a number of things. But the truth is, it encapsulates more than just a single thing. Instead, it recognizes a domain in which darkness permeates. And as it is, we can identify darkness with many things, whether that is sin, demons, or Satan. This makes sense, especially when we consider what uh, Paul, explaining his conversion experience in Acts 26. And this is what he says. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice, there's a lot of familiarity between these verses and the verses in Colossians. Both talk about deliverance, being given understanding, in which this text says, opening their eyes. The difference between darkness and light, uh, the power of Satan to God, forgiveness of sins, and a place, as Colossians says, an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now, the similarities are important because it gives us greater understanding in Colossians. In particular, when describing the darkness, the devil is in fact mentioned. Because of this, we can confirm our first suspicions that the realm of darkness involves Satan in some capacity. However, this should not surprise us in the least. We know the story of Adam and Eve, and we know that the foundation of the realm of darkness is the original deception. That deception ushered in the realm of darkness to begin with. So, we should be aware that the realm of darkness does consist of Lucifer and his demons. So let us not forget this fact, and let us remember that we do not wrestle just against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world that includes these spiritual beings. Yet we also want to make sure we are not only placing the emphasis there. While it is true that the realm of darkness is one which the devil and his legions have some control, we must not assume that it is all that it entails. For indeed, the realm of darkness also includes the actions, the sin, of those who belong to it. Darkness is not just found in the devil. It is also found within us through our sin. Thus, in both the Acts passage and the Colossians passage, we find the need for redemption. We find the need for forgiveness because we are willful inhabitants of the dark kingdom. It is not as though we are bound and that is it. We also approve of the binding of our hearts to sin. We willfully accept the chains and the shackles of sin which leads to death. And we find that in Romans 1-3. But I'm only going to focus on one section of Romans 1 that starts with verse 28. Paul says, and this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The realm of darkness then consists again of many things, all of which we must combat against. All that which will fight us. Preparation is needed for the battle, but it is not the kind of preparation which we would expect. For our strength and our might is not our own, but belongs to God. And we combat not with swords or guns or battle axes, but with the truth. For the truth of God is our foundation. And when we battle in these places against darkness with light, it is with the light itself which we fight. Now, before Betsy, before you continue, I, do, I wrote something after the fact because I just wanted to make a, a point. Um, and so a side note is that I, I want to emphasize one other thing. It's not as though the realm of darkness is equal to the realm of light. Or that the devil is just as strong or powerful as God. God is far greater than the devil. As the light is far greater than darkness. The demons, they flee from God. The power of darkness is chained and it can only do so much. And in the end, all that God has willed to occur, will occur. So do not think that they are again on equal powers... Because they are not equal powers at all. But neither should we ignore the power of darkness, which is, unfortunately, more powerful than we are. But that just means that God is so much more powerful too. More powerful than us, if he is more powerful than the darkness. And I just want to make that point, because I don't want anyone to be scared. (laughs) I don't want anyone to think, oh man, the darkness is so strong, I have no hope. You have hope if you're in God, because God is far stronger than that darkness. So there are two realms, again, which we see, two domains. One is in darkness, the other in the light. One is founded on lies and deception. The other founded on truth. We are in the midst of battles all the time against ourselves, against the devil and his wiles, or the wiles of the devil, if you want to say it that way, and the darkness itself, which permeates our societies. In order to win, we must be prepared. Thankfully, Paul tells us how we are to prepare ourselves, even within this text, technically. So what does that lead to? Walking on the longest road. So how do we stand against this other domain which we once lived? How do we stand knowing that we are facing darkness itself? It would almost be enough to recognize the realm of darkness only belonging to the devil. You know, that's a corporal idea of form in our heads. But within it also lies our own struggles, the struggles of those around us, and even our society. It is all darkness, not just some pieces or parts. So how do we stand knowing this? Well, rather than stand, Paul recognizes it rather as a walk. When he prays for the believers that they would walk in a way worthy of the Lord, he is praying that they would continue on in the grace which first brought them to the cross. What he then describes as the walk are the ways in which they can actually combat darkness itself. And that is what shows them that they are in the realm of light. So the first one, to bear fruit. Again, as mentioned previously, it means to live a lifestyle which is in repentance. To live a repentant lifestyle is to live in a way turned from sin and turned toward God. It is to walk with the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It means not turning toward the darkness or sin. The encouragement, then, is to bear fruit by keeping up with that repentance. This is the prayer we should be praying for one another. That we would continue to grow good fruit by God's grace, by living in a way which is pleasing to Him. But there's more to it. Paul says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge, especially in these verses, is very important. Consider what Paul says at the beginning of this whole section of verses in verse 9. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does all this mean? It means first, that we are called to continually grow in the knowledge of God. It is not enough for us to be stagnant in our knowledge of God. Sometimes we can make the knowledge of God like getting to know someone's name. We get to know God well enough to know the name of Jesus and that's it. But we should know better. Even in our everyday relationships, if we know someone only by their name and know nothing more about them, it wouldn't be enough to say that we actually know this person. God wants us to know him the way that we know anyone else. You know your kids, you know your friends, you know your spouses, you know their dislikes and their likes. Sometimes. (laughs) I heard that, Betsy. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a while to get to to know their likes and dislikes. But still, you try to know them (laughs) and you try to learn them. To know God, to know His will, is to know God's likes, His dislikes. It means knowing Him as He has revealed Himself to us, knowing Him in all of His glory, in all of His ways. But it doesn't end with knowledge of His will, it continues with spiritual wisdom and understanding. What are these things? What do they mean? Well, consider what Paul says about wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1. That the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, or that his foolishness is even wiser than man's. God's wisdom is greater than that which we possess. Now there are two things about wisdom. The first is that wisdom is the ability to discern. The ability to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil. When we have spiritual wisdom, we are able to see the difference, and seeing the difference, act accordingly. But I also want to make this other point. And for those who are in Sunday school, you might this might be a refresher from a week ago. Does anyone know what the word philosophy means? You guys can't answer. Well, it comes from two Greek words. The first half, philo, philo, comes from the Greek word philos. And that word means love or brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phila, brotherly love, Delphia. City, But the second part, sophie, comes from the Greek word sophia, which means wisdom. Thus philosophy simply means love for or the love of wisdom. As it is, God has wisdom. And we are to seek and to know and to love his wisdom. We are to be philosophers of God. To be lovers of the wisdom of God. This means we are called to use our minds to understand God's ways. The final element is understanding. I guess my question to all of you is, can you know something without understanding it? I would say yes, technically. For example, you can know that the sun shines without knowing the complexities of light and whether or not it's a wave or a ray or a beam. Um, You can know the grass is green and not have an understanding as to why it is green. You can know a car can drive forward, but you may not know the underworkings of a car, the engine, and all of its different parts. Um, You may even know, again, something. You may have knowledge of someone, but not really know much about them or understand why they do the things that they do. God, however does not want us to stop just knowledge of him. He wants us to also understand him. He wants us to seek him and his ways and to grow in knowledge of him in all ways, including this understanding and including wisdom. Will we understand all of God's ways in this life? Not likely. (laughs) However, that does not excuse us from not seeking to understand his ways as best as we are able In all honesty, I know that that sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot of hard work, a lot of headaches, a lot of ibuprofen. We keep a bottle with us at Sunday school. (laughs) We We actually don't, but we should. And again, I know those who are in Sunday school are finding that out now as we talk about the philosophy of God. But the reward is great when we do it. The reward for seeking him, for loving God with all of our minds, is wonderful. For it means that we are stronger in our faith. And we are more readily able to stand against the darkness, which comes after not only our hearts and affections, but also our minds. So it's because of this, I do believe that Paul tells us that he wants us to increase in the knowledge of God. But this walk... It doesn't end with lifestyles. It doesn't even end with our minds. Paul continues with being strengthened by the glorious might of God. And this third point is a reminder for us. We cannot stand alone. We cannot walk the path of faith alone. We cannot battle the darkness alone. We are not strong enough alone. We are in constant need of God's grace on our lives to give us his strength. His strength is what will keep us going. His strength in us will keep us on the straight and the narrow. In this we remember that God is the one who perseveres us. We have all heard the term perseverance of the saints. And while it is true that it technically means once saved, always saved, it more definitely means that once saved, one will always be persevering in the faith. Not because we are so strong. We are certainly not as strong as we think we are. But because God holds us. And to me, that is a glorious thought. But all that leads to the final thought. The final aspect of walking in a way worthy of the Lord And that is in thankfulness. The darkness always seeks to attack us in this place. And in all honesty, the darkness does a very good job. We have things happen to us all the time which will cause us to cease being thankful for what God has done through Christ. I give myself as an example. How easy it is to be thankful for the gospel when you see bats flying around your house in the middle of the night at three in the morning. Or when you get hit by a deer, again, the deer hit me. It ran after me. I did not run after it. Or when you wake up and you feel that depression settle in around you once again like a dark cloak. Or other things. Health. Friends' health. Friends' struggles. family struggles. All of these things seek to take away my thankfulness, your thankfulness, because it takes my focus and your focus off of what the Father has done for us through His Son, Jesus. How easy it is for us in our struggles, to forget that the greatest battle against darkness has already been accomplished through Jesus. How easy it is for us in our worries, our sorrows, our sins, to forget of the forgiveness which we find in Christ, and the reality that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light through what Jesus has done. The reason why the darkness wants to beat us here is because this is our foundation against the darkness. Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one by whom our sins are forgiven, that we are transferred into his kingdom from the kingdom of darkness, that the kingdom of darkness has no authority over us if we are in Christ because it has no claim on us anymore. My friends and beloved of God, continue to pray for each other in these things. Pray for one another that we each individually and corporately would walk in a way worthy of the Lord in these ways. Pray for yourself as you seek God's grace in your life that you would be blessed with these things and continue further onward in a manner worthy of the Lord. In all of these things, there's not an ounce of darkness. In these things... There is only triumph. The spirit of the age, the darkness of the age, will never defeat the spirit of God in us who urges us to walk in this way. So continue ever forward in seeking these things, taking each step of this walk of faith on the firm foundation of Christ Jesus. And ultimately, I encourage you to the same thing which Paul prays for the believers to whom he wrote. That you would bear fruit, That you would increase in the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding of God. That you would be given strength of God. And that you would continue in thankfulness for what he has done. This is how we win a war against evil and darkness. And thankfully, we are never alone if we are in Christ. For God is always with us. And so, of course, that leads us to the gospel. Um... And I'm hoping you've made some connections <laughs> along the way <laughs> of how this text really does do a great job at just portraying the gospel in so many different ways. Um, but before we get to those ways, we're going to look at origins. And you know what? Again, the Bible teaches us that God, he was the first cause. He is the one who created all things. And that by his word alone, that he brought forth the cosmos. And it's glorious. It's glorious. But not only that, but he also created us to be his image bearers, which means that each of us, all of the human race, has this imprint of the deity of God on us, the image of God on us. And because of that, we are able to know because God knows. We are able to have emotions because God has emotions. We're able to see morality in the world and seek morality because God is a moral God. We know righteousness, justice. We know holiness. We know love. Because of God. And along with that comes the reality that all humans have dignity, sanctity, and worth to their lives. And we should seek these things out. Unfortunately, even though we have all these things, we fell into sin. And so, what happens is, is that the fall occurred. And sin started coming into our lives, and sin permeates our lives, and it permeates our societies around us. And because of that, we have broken relationships with ourselves, each other, the world, and God. And it's a sorrowful thing. And it's something that we saw today. The fall, the kingdom of darkness, which we were all part of. And the problem that we have is that we can't escape the kingdom of darkness because, to be honest, if we were really to ask ourselves, we don't want to on our own. And so the question is, how do we get unbound? And then further, how do we want to leave? And that comes with redemption. Because even though in the kingdom of darkness there is judgment to come, we also know that There is a different story to be had. And that is one of redemption through Jesus. And that God saw us in our darkness. He saw us in the kingdom of darkness and he said no more. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in time, space, history, and flesh. And that through him, we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Into his kingdom. That through him we have a full redemption with God, that our sins are forgiven completely, wiped clean through what Jesus has done. And that because of him, because he ushers in the faith that we can have, we can also live in a way worthy of God. And this faith is what transforms us. If we have faith in redemption of Jesus Christ, if we have faith in what he has done, and that means that, all righteousness is ours because Christ gives it to us and that all of our sins are forgiven. And because of that, we can live in repentance. We can live turned away from sin and turned toward God. That means that the redemption of Christ is a complete redemption, not just of us being taken out of sin, but all of who we are being taken out of sin so that no longer are we slaves of sin, but that we can combat sin on every single level with our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. Because of what Jesus has done in redemption. There's only two possible ends when it comes to the future. For those who remain in faithlessness. For those who do not put their faith in Jesus. Who keep on living in their sin as it says in Romans. Who continue on in their own ways of wickedness. There's only destruction. The judgment is coming. And there must be judgment for sin. Because our God is a good, moral, and righteous God. However, if we do have faith in Christ, if we have been redeemed from the fall, then that means that we have been transferred into the kingdom of God, and guess what? His might's going to keep us there. And you know what? It means that in the future, we don't experience judgment. The judgment's been paid. Because all that we owed... Is wiped clean. And so we become co-heirs of a kingdom. That we become brothers and sisters of Christ. And that means that we have an inheritance, as today's text says. This is not something which is small. This is great. And so it is again, I continue to encourage you, continue in the ways that we talked about today. Pray that God would give you all that you need to do all that he has asked. And that's an amazing thought that he does that. He doesn't just say, do this, and then expect you to do it on your own. He says, do this. I'm going to carry you along the way. How wonderful is that? So seek him out and seek out his glory. And let us pray. Father we thank you for all that you have accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that through Christ we can be redeemed from the fall, and that not only that, we receive an inheritance which is worth far more than even we can comprehend now. And we ask you to please be with us, that you would give us the ability, the strength to combat the darkness, that we would bear good fruit for your holy name, that we would increase in knowledge of you and that we would seek these things and that we would continue to give thanks for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it is all for his glory and it's in his name we pray, amen. Please stand as we sing our final hymn.